Welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 47, My Dance with Anger. I'm going to start today by sharing a story that was submitted. If you guys remember, I've been asking for people to send me stories of a time that they felt seen by someone, or might I add, if you were able to be the person that saw someone else, if you felt inspired and you were able to find a time when you show compassion to someone or you connected with them and it resulted in a cool experience for you. So this story says... A little over a year ago, I took my then almost three-year-old and six-month-old to the mall near our home. For some reason, I decided not to use the stroller, so I was carrying the baby in his car seat and holding my other son's hand. I'm not sure why I decided to not bring the stroller. Apparently, I didn't think that one through. On the way out, I was several feet from the door with my two kids, and there was a construction worker ahead of me who must have been on his lunch break. He looked back to see if he should hold the door open for anyone. We made eye contact for a second, but he was far enough ahead of me that I didn't really expect him to hold the door for me. He walked away, but while I wasn't looking, he walked back. So when I reached the door, he was holding it open for us. We said a sincere thank you and headed out to my car. My favorite part of the story happened next. He had a coworker with him who was waiting for him up ahead. I heard the coworker say, come on, we're going to be late. Then the guy who had opened the door for us said, I know, but her hands were full. Seriously made my day. Such a simple act, but it really touched my heart. Yes, that's perfect. I love that story. Please, listeners, go ahead. Keep sending me your stories of times you felt seen or when you saw someone. This is awesome. It's such a great way to start the podcast. Create such a a feeling of light and hope and unity among us. If you want to support the podcast, the mission of ICU, will you go to icupodcast.com and please click on support the podcast. You can buy cute apparel, you can donate money to the cause, whatever you want. So if that's something that touches your heart and you feel like you can or want to do, that's always helpful, of course. Today, we're going to be talking about anger and there's a lot of sniffing and boogers going on. I was sick at the time and then of course I'm crying all the time. And so just get ready for that. It's going to be big. Here we go. Emily McAllister, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Your niece is one of my really close friends, Shantae, mm-hmm. who was actually on one of my storybook episodes. Yes. Sure. And she did the cover photography for my podcast. Oh, awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. She's pretty special. And her husband, Davin, was on episode six, I want to say. He talked about being bullied growing up. So it's all in the family on the yes. podcast. Yay. Okay, Emily, will you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? I am a mom. I've got three kids, 16-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old. Pretty amazing humans, I think. They're pretty awesome. I mean, they're kids, right? But (laughs) (laughs) they do their things, but I like really love them and love being with them most of the time. I grew up as the oldest of seven kids. I totally love the outdoors. I Spent seven of my summers working at different camps, some of which were Boy Scout camps, and teaching kids skills. And I love backpacking and hiking and doing a big 30-plus mile backpacking trip this summer. I'm totally a nature girl. I love reading. I'm really fascinated by human behavior, mostly to figure out myself, but then also helps me understand other people. 
I love learning new things. I kind of dabble in a lot of things, which probably explains my, my 20 plus thousand Pinterest pins. I like to read too. What do you like to read? I love fiction. I love historical fiction. Jane Eyre is my favorite book of all time by far. That's my sister's favorite book. Yeah. I try and read it once a year, but I also love like nonfiction, totally into like a lot of self-help stuff. Me and you would make a good book club. Those are totally my interest. And sometimes I can't go too heavy on the self-help. Sometimes need a good historical fiction. I'm reading The Book Thief again right now. Oh, yes. My daughter. I've read it two other times, but oh, it's just like poetry. Every sentence, it just, I just like absorb it in my skin. I love it yes. so much. Yes. I love words. So it's a good, yeah. it's a good mix for me. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's just jump in. Will you tell okay. us about your experience losing your mom? Yeah been thinking a lot about this. I kind of just want to start by saying that my mom and I, we had a very real relationship. We disagreed with each other. We got frustrated with one another, but I can genuinely say, and I will cry, she is the best person, like the best human I personally knew just for her goodness and her sincerity. And I feel like I always say she was my best friend, but that doesn't really do her justice. I feel like she was, she was my person. She was like who I went to to fall apart. She was who I went to for direction and comfort. When I think about it, and when I think about her, she was like home for me. She was my home. I don't really consider like a place home, but she was my home. In 2012, I moved away from home. My whole family is from Utah. I grew up there. My husband grew up there and we moved away with our little family and we moved to Colorado and it was pretty rough being away from family. I talked to my mom a ton. And then in August of 2013, so about a year later, she had not been feeling well and she collapsed at work. She went to the doctor. They ran a whole bunch of tests and basically kind of came back and said, Hey, you just got too much stress and anxiety in your life. And she kind of went on this rapid downward spiral. It was really fast. She was losing weight. She couldn't eat. Her back hurt. So like she couldn't sleep. She would sleep in a chair. And I flew out a couple times. My siblings were like super supportive. We all were just trying to be there for her because we nobody knew what was going on. And that went on for a while. And then in January of 2014, a family friend of ours whose doctor suggested she go in and get a CAT scan. They found tumors. They found cancer. My family has had a lot of challenges over the years. We rally really well. Like We are this force when we rally. And I think we just figured, listen, we just got to rally. I think we totally believed that we could beat whatever came our way. And I know initially we thought all we have to do is have a lot of faith. We're really religious. We believe in God. And I think we just thought, listen, if we could have enough faith, and I know she had enough faith that God would heal her. And we would just get through this. A few weeks after that initial diagnosis, they did a biopsy and they came back and she had stage four endocarcinoma. She was tiny, like five feet tall. And she pretty much like, it was like she had cancer all through her body. And they diagnosed her with esophageal cancer. I think we all just buckled in and we, we were determined. She started chemo. We were like, we're strong. We can do this. After that week of chemo, she just got worse. She ended up in the hospital with a feeding tube and a stay at the Huntsman. Her body was rejecting food. And at one point during her stay in the hospital, she decided it was just time to go on the hospice. I look back on that time because I had the opportunity to be with her in the hospital. I stayed with her and like the greatest honor of my life was being able to be in that space to love her and care for her. 
and offer her that. And it's a precious time for me. She went home and about a week later on February 27th, she died and she passed away at home. We were all devastated. I think we put on really brave faces. We're good at that, but we were devastated and it felt like pretty catastrophic in my life and in my siblings' life, in all of our lives. It just felt catastrophic. Uh, This is real life sometimes and it's awful. So how did anger play into this experience for you? It's interesting because I remember in January when we got her diagnosis and we were on a family conference call and my brother was kind of leading point on it, my youngest brother. He'd gone to the doctor with her and he was kind of just saying like, this is what's going on inside of her body and this is how it's consuming her body and everything. And I remember really having this understanding that I, for the first time, really, like, I was so consumed by anger. And I remember having the thought that this anger was like a cancer inside of me. And it was spreading all through my relationships, my interactions. It was, it was everywhere. And I, it wasn't just this thing. And I think that's kind of what I learned from a lot of study about this inside of myself is I realized that this just became like the tipping point. I had survived an emotionally abusive marriage, first marriage. I had a lot of anger pent up. I realized about my, I have a son that two years before this had been diagnosed with autism and ADHD. And I had a lot of anger at myself, at life, at everything that had kind of been thrown at me. And this just became like a giant tipping point for me. My personality is such that I like to be very pleasing and obliging. I like to just make sure everybody's okay. I can read people pretty well, I think. And I'm like, oh, let me help you. Let me be in a space for you. And I I offered that a lot. And I think I suppressed a lot of those other things because I felt like it was bad to be angry. And so this kind of brought it really to the forefront. It's easy to start aiming our anger and becomes blame kind of. And that kind of became a thing. I I had a lot of anger towards a lot of situations that had happened to my mom. It just seems so unfair, you know, that when we needed her the most and that she wasn't going to be able to fulfill the things she wanted to do in her life. Everything about that just was crushing to me. And I remember thinking the one person who has power to control this is God and he's not stopping it. And I never stopped believing in him, but man, I was angry with him. And I had a lot of prayers that were honestly me cursing God. I was just so angry that he would do this to me and to my family and to her. I felt so helpless and anger felt like a way to like feel powerful because I had no power. At that point, I felt like that's all I had. And I was tired of being obliging when... It was so, it was catastrophic. I did not know how we could go forward without her. <laughs> See, I made you great too. <laughs> you turned me into a total mess. No, I, oh. Yes, yes, yes. To everything you're saying, I, I connect with it so much. So you're feeling all this anger. How did compassion play a role in helping you get through this and get you out of the anger? Or I don't know, are you still in it? We talked about the title for this, kind of that dance with anger. I think it's always going to be there. This year is five years out, and I still have bouts of like, something will happen and I want to call her. Good or bad, it all comes up. I'm better now at dealing with it, but 
I think it's always there. I don't think it's something you conquer. I think compassion, I've really been thinking about this a lot. People were compassionate. I was amazed at the ways that people stood up and stepped in. I had these three amazing friends that I met as an adult. At the time of her passing and of everything in this, they, we were all living in different parts of the country. They're my girls. And I call them and like they're the people that I can, all that darkness can come out. They're the people that when I call and say, and I have all these horrible thoughts or whatever, they're like, yeah, I love you. It's okay. And they just listened. And the day of her funeral, they all came from all across the country. And all day long, I would think about something and I would turn around and they were just quietly in the back taking care of things. Oh, somebody needs to put the little boutonnieres on the kids. I'd turn around and they were just there. And I think that was powerful for me to recognize that they were just this silent force. And they, they remain that silent force in my life. I had a neighbor who never met my mom and she would just say, let's go for a walk. And she would say, tell me about her. I want to know all about her. And that was a powerful thing that I didn't even think I needed was to talk about her in this way that wasn't, she never, it wasn't about pity. It was just about, tell me about her. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And that was a saving grace for me. I had an acquaintance from my church who I didn't know very well. I'd seen her before. We'd say hi, right? Like it wasn't, she was just a woman in my church. And when she found out, she came up to me and said, my mom died five years ago from cancer. And I just, I know where you are. And she put her arms around me and she said things to me that only somebody who, who had gone through it could know. And then she just kept being in the spaces like that she knew would be a void. At the year mark, she called me and said, I don't know how she remembered that it was the year mark at all. But at the year mark, she called me and said, I'm taking you out to lunch today because it's a weird day. And I didn't have my family there. My sisters were all together in Utah. And she just, she just stepped into that space for me. And probably one of the biggest things for me was I decided I needed actual help. So I got a therapist. I actually had a couple. And that helped me to start learning to have compassion for myself. That was something that I was not good at. I was great with compassion for others, but I was horrible with compassion for myself. And she really taught me the skills of how to like be okay with the fact that I was angry. I think I used to be afraid that it would take control of my life if I let it be there. And she taught me that I could let it be there and be like, okay, I'm angry and it's okay. And she taught me these skills and processes to just be I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? And then to offer myself compassion. And it was a new thing for me, something I'd never, I didn't know how to do very well, but I was very good at it for others. But turning that on myself was huge. And then for sure, my brothers and sisters, because my mom would always talk about, she'd heard a story once about, you know, the subway sign in London, the mind the gap sign. She would always talk about how God minds the gap. What does that mean? I believe it's the gap between the platform and the subway to mind the gap, to not fall into it. But she would always talk about how we all have gaps and voids in our lives and how God minds the gap. But we really took that to mean that we have to mind the gap for one another. My siblings do that. We had to step into this role of mom to one another and of grandma to each other's kids. 
that has minded that gap for us. So hopefully that answered that question. Beautiful. How is this giving you empathy for other people who feel angry because they've lost someone? It's helped me understand that loss is loss. I think sometimes we think about loss as just death, and it is. But losing her, that death was about, it was bigger than that. And loss is loss. Loss can come from divorce. Loss can come from losing a job. It can come from the expectations we have in life that we lose. It can come from loss of things we hope for for our kids or our own lives. I think that oftentimes we see people that are in loss and anger is a natural. I felt powerless, so anger feels powerful. I think sometimes we see that and we don't get down to why there's loss. I see this better now. I can look at somebody and go, they're hurting. I like studied anger. because I was like, I don't understand that it's about fear and it's about hurt and it's about pain. Always. My therapist always says anger is always a secondary emotion. Yeah. Always a secondary emotion. There's always emotion. something behind it. It's never yeah. just anger. Yeah. I'm better at trying to get down to that. My kids will come home and somebody will be angry with them or whatever. And I'm like, what do you think is driving that? They hate that question, by the way. But um, <laughs> they just want to be angry. <laughs> and I think a lot of us do. I want to just be angry. And I felt that way for a long time. I used to come home and I dropped my kids off at school and I would come home and I would crawl back in bed and I would just cry. But I didn't want them to see that. I was so afraid that they would see that and yell and scream in an empty house. I was so afraid that they would see that side of me. And yet it's such a healthy side for them to see that this hurt. And so I think it's allowed me to see that anger, like you said, is a secondary emotion. There's always something driving it. Fear, sadness, loneliness. Absolutely. Well, and that does give you greater compassion for other people that lash totally. out because you realize that it's it's not what you think it never is. Right. Always something behind it that we don't understand. Right. Totally. Have you listened to the podcast before? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of know the theme of it. Do you have any suggestions for how to really see someone that is in that dance with anger and pain? I use the term a lot. I got it from all the therapies and I did about holding the space and what that looks like. And I really feel like holding the space is about why I love your podcast. I think it's about standing in a place where we're just listen and we stand in love and acceptance, like without judgment. And I was thinking about this a lot. I think it's important to ask about their experience. Like, what are you going through? Or ask about their loved one or say, tell me, tell me your story. Tell me what's going on. I find this when I start even just in normal anger, like not this profound anger, but the normal anger, like when I'm angry with my husband and we're fighting, you know, we learned this parenting skill years ago and I'm trying it connect before you're correct, right? But I'm trying to do that in terms of my anger as well. Like, how can I connect and say, tell me, tell me what you're thinking and being curious instead of judgmental. Connect before correct. That applies to so many things, right? (laughs) Curious. Instead of being judgy about something, but be curious about it. Why are you feeling so angry? Well, and that goes right along with EFT, Emotionally Focused Therapy which we had Tony Overbay on here not too long. Yeah, yeah. He's a big fan of EFT and I am too. 
even since that episode, it was a good reminder for me to use EFT more in my marriage, emotionally focused therapy. So when it's like my husband's mad at me, instead of me completely personalizing it, trying to stop and be like, whoa, you're hurting. What is, you know, what's in there? Yeah. Life changing. I totally agree. And I think it's, I think we personalize things. I realized that I felt like God was doing this to me. Everything about that felt personal. If I can flip that around and get out of that and be like, whoa, this was, this was just a thing that happened and it totally sucks. I hate it. I still hate it. I will never be okay with the fact that she's not here. I just won't. I've accepted it and I prayed to really understand it, but I, I will never, I will never be like, yeah, this is, this was a good experience for me. This is not going to be one of those things. Asking people, listening to them, but not inserting my experiences necessarily. If they ask me for that, great. This is a work in progress for me. (laughs) That one is. But to listen and just be there, offering love. I had a friend recently whose mom died about a year ago. And the day she died, I wrote her mom's date in my planner because I was like, this is important to be there in that space for her a year from now where she does it. Cause I had somebody do that for me and then ask how they're coping. How are you coping with this? I think a lot of people told me, Oh, you'll be okay. It gets better with time. The grief is still there. I will be in the grocery store or my kids will have this good thing happen. And I just like, I pick up the phone and go to call her and all of that comes back again. So it's always this lovely, beautiful, sweet moment. And there's always this bitter attached to it. And now though, instead of suppressing that and being like, no, I have to be okay. I have been known to be in the grocery store and just put my sunglasses on because I am sobbing. I just am like, yep, I'm totally angry right now. It's okay. Because I lost my person. It's not okay that she's not here. So I think that becomes a powerful place where we can really show up in other people's lives. There is a way to trust in a God, still be okay with not being okay. Like those things can all exist at the same time where you trust that there's a plan, but you're still, you're still ticked about it. (laughs) I think, I don't know. I feel like the God I worship, which I believe is everyone's God. I feel like he's okay with that. He's okay with that. I get mad. And I'm like, I think this blows. I think this was a bad idea. I still, I actually do trust you, but I'm just saying right now in my mortality and misunderstanding, I'm just engaging in the fact that I think this is stupid and you should have rethought this. (laughs) I feel like he's okay with it. If I'm going to be angry with anyone, I feel like he takes it the best. (laughs) He's like, I know it's fine. You know, I totally believe that. I feel like we got all things from him, including all our emotions. Like I feel like anger is a healthy emotion. It's normal to grieve the loss of things in our life. That's a normal reaction to things. In fact, I would kind of be fearful if I didn't grieve this loss. Yeah. You know, that it doesn't seem counter to the love that I have for her to not grieve at this level. Just because I feel those big emotions doesn't mean they have to be what drives me. Yeah. I think that's the thing I've learned. Like it's a U-turn sign. Whenever I feel angry, I know that there's something inside that is needing something. How do I meet that need? Who do I go to? Where do I go? And I've started looking at it like that. Like when I get angry, I'm like, oh wait, I gotta, there's something in here that needs help. 
And I think the same thing with other people. You're angry. How can I offer you love? Even when you're the most difficult to love. I believe that God loves me. Not that he's happy that I'm grieving, but that he's okay with it. I hope he's okay because I certainly have those conversations a lot. <laughs> yeah, girls, we're all in big trouble. Right. It's not okay with me being back. <laughs> I hope he is. I hope he is, but I hope he knows that, look, you gave me this awesome mom. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to be sad when you take her away. When you love someone this hard and they have such an impact in your life, when they leave, it's going to change everything. It's going to not go unnoticed. Your entire life is going to look different. I think that is a testament to the power of the relationship you have with that person. There is going to be a, like you said, a catastrophic loss and a catastrophic change in how you feel when you wake up that that person is gone. So if there's someone listening that is hurting, they're angry about loss, or over a loss, what would be your message to them? That it's okay. That it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel it. If you can allow yourself compassion and be curious about why, even within yourself, figuring out with compassion. I honestly don't believe we're ever alone, but that if you find yourself in a place where you do feel alone, find people. I think that that's why there's self-help groups and groups for all the different things for what people are experiencing because it becomes a place where we can stand with one another. Sometimes that takes us going out and finding that group. Sometimes they don't come to us. For me, I also needed that therapist who I could just go and talk to. She became a person for me in that space. I think it's normal to grieve loss of whatever in our life. That's a normal response. I think that it's okay. I beat myself up for a long time. It's not okay that I'm angry. And it is. It is. It's part of being human. It's part of this journey I think we're all on in life. And it helps. It helps when I get on my knees in prayer and I cuss at God. (laughs) It helped because it felt better. You know, it helped when somebody would say, I love you and it's okay that you're sad okay that you're not always strong and to be compassionate with ourselves to me that was the game changer people could always be compassionate with me but until I allowed myself compassion and said it's okay it's okay that you're not perfect you do a work too in your own self-discovery I know that you're helping other people didn't you just launch a new website I launched a new website and I have a coaching business that I do that kind of just came to me because of I think because I was trying to figure these things out on my own. So I just started a new website called exploreyouthrive.com. You explore you, you are going to thrive. I like that. I probably need that. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I'm only 29, I'm like, oh, I've done so much therapy though. Like so many hours and so many self so many podcasts and so much about me. But you just keep on peeling the layers Yes. But I do feel greater peace and light in my life the more the layers come off. But then it does seem like I come across and I'm like, oh, I think there's always still more work. But it's beautiful. And I'm, anyways, it's a peaceful, good place to be to be willing to do that, I think. And I totally believe that if we know ourselves and love ourselves, it becomes a really powerful foundation for the rest of our relationships and our lives. And it's a journey, not even close to being there yet. Totally a journey for me. 
Thank you. you for being a part of the podcast and for speaking so highly of the podcast and supporting that that message of ICU. It's a beautiful message. And I really do believe that your premise is true. I really do believe compassion and connection saves lives. Yeah. It saved mine. Same. So yeah. we are sisters that way. Thank you for being here, Emily. Thank you. Oh, that was an emotional, amazing episode. Thank you, Emily McAllister, for being on the podcast and for loving the podcast and sharing the hope of this podcast. I'm going to leave a link to her website. Next week, one of my best friends from high school is going to be in town. We're having a sleepover this weekend. I can't wait. And what's a good sleepover without recording a podcast, right? (laughs) She is here to talk about an interesting journey she has had over a course of the last few years. And I'm going to do something different this time. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to give you a one word hint. It's like the game Codenames. Has anyone out there played Codenames? I love the game Codenames. I'm not going to explain it, but go look it up. It's so fun. The hint for next week is skin. S-K-I-N. Skin. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you 